Hello, everybody, and welcome to another spicy, scintillating episode of the Chocolate Bros podcast. Here with uh, who are you? You're Brian. I'm, I'm Adam. Brian. Yeah, we've been kind of in a kind of in a daze the last few days, bro. Have you noticed that? I have noticed myself in it being in a daze as much as you can notice yourself being in a daze when you're in a daze and not noticing things very well. But uh, we're going to try to make it scintillating. And it's always, <laughs> and it's spicy. Always spicy. It's always spicy. It's always going to be spicy. Anytime Ooh. you get us together, it's Muy always going to be spicy. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, you're you're on with, with Brian and Adam. We are two of the three owners of the chocolate company, Fortunato Chocolate. That's you can right. check but us out on fortunatochocolate.com arguably the lead, the two least important like i don't know dan might be like the, <laughs> he's kind of the top dog so like you're kind of getting the scraps over here don't you think or maybe not i don't know it depends on on people's perceptions i guess they say perception is reality adam what do you think about that i wrote i wrote a marketing email where i described us the three of us as a three-headed beast <laughs> <laughs> and then in the email i said i really got to choose a different analogy for describing us but I, for this for the sake of this podcast we're a three-headed beast brian a three-headed beast. And hey, when you got a three-headed beast, one head of that beast doesn't eat unless the other two heads are eaten, because otherwise they'll start biting each other. Ah, oh, that's a great point. So what you're saying is that we're three co-equal heads, so they're getting a solid two-thirds representation. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because right. if, you're, if, a, if, if only one head of a three-headed beast mm-hmm. starts eating, then the other two will start kind of snipping at the neck of the one beast, the one head that is eating. But doesn't the beast share a gastrointestinal system? Like, doesn't all but, the heads? But what about the taste buds and food? the enjoyment of tasting the food? You're saying it's not necessarily a sustenance issue. It's more like a, it's a social thing. It's a social thing. Okay. And it's the same. Yeah. And it's the same with the ownership of our company. Everybody's got to pull their weight. You see how that, how that analogy holds up. <laughs> it works. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I won't, I'm not going to quibble. I'm in too much of a dazed even quibble, bro. <laughs> yeah. So um, <laughs> I wanted to shout out a guy who came into our shop, bro. I didn't even tell you this story mm-hmm. yet. There's a gentleman who came into our shop. I'm going to look up his name. Mm-hmm. He, his son wanted to know how M&Ms were made. They really? went onto YouTube to figure, to see how that happens. Mm-hmm. Somehow they came across the chocolate bros on YouTube by coincidence, by mm-hmm. accident, heard us mention Issaquah, Washington, looked us up and came into the shop and he brought his sister as well. They found us through the Chocolate Bros podcast. Wow. Right, I'm going to look up his amazing. name. So he was, he was trying to find out about M&M's, the most, industrial, the most industrial supermarket chocolate product there is, and instead came across Fortunato Chocolate and the Chocolate Bros and came into the store and got something. Yep. Up I'm going to shout out my man. That's amazing. Here's my man, Daniel. I'm shouting you out, Daniel Church. Danny, he, dude, he Danny the Churchmeister. So Danny he, C. Check out Woo. how good check out how good of a father this guy is. He and his son like listen to some kind of an educational podcast or video every night together while he's putting his son to bed. And one of those was the Chocolate Bros podcast. And then he brought and he called his sister. They're both like Issaquah natives. This guy has lived in the country of Georgia, like the Republic of Georgia. His mm-hmm. um, his sister who also came in lived in Switzerland. Wow. But she pronounced it Schweiz, Switzerland, not Schweiz. So okay. I don't know if you're getting it wrong or if she's wrong. I have heard it pronounced Schweiz by Swiss people in Switzerland. So maybe right. she might be thinking about a different place. All know. right. So Daniel Church, rock solid, awesome customer and good father and a dude who found out about. Yeah. Now, by the way. I really appreciate what everything this guy did, but I absolutely am not. Uh, I'm not with him. His fathering is too good. I mean, how am I? He's making us look to, bad. Making he's making me look bad. bad over here. Like I don't approve of that. But yeah. but still, good job. 
Good so job. Here's why I say we've been in a little bit of a daze and why in particular I, I've been a little bit beleaguered and so has the team over at the shop. Yes. I don't want to brag, but we're local news celebrities now. Uh, well, brag away. It's not bragging <laughs> if you've done it. That's what I remember Bush saying. Uh, it's not bragging if you've done it. Well, if the thing that you've done was like have a one minute segment on local news, I don't know if that's like. <laughs> You're selling yourself wildly short, bro. You're selling yourself 67% short because I happen to know that was a three minute segment on the local news. No, oh. it wasn't the local news, though. It was the local news magazine. But they took the same segment and showed it on the news the next day. Oh, they did. Yeah. But that show mm. evenings. Mm-hmm. If anybody's listening to this and you're not in the Seattle area, uh, yeah. Google Issaquah Fortunato chocolate, and then maybe the words King and the number five, the word King and the number five. King look, five evenings. Yes. Yeah. And check us know. out. Um, so a ton of people saw that and came into the shop. So local news and the local news magazine. Yes. Those are still way more popular than I suspected. They have so much reach. I not. So by the way, at the gym, I had two people who I see at the gym and really never talk to come up to me and say, Hey, you're that chocolate guy. And I'm wearing a mask at the gym. Uh Uh, And then my tennis partner, Billy numbers on Saturday said, sent me a text before I saw him on Saturday said, Oh my gosh, I saw your segment on the news. It turns out he watches King five evenings and saw us on there. I never mentioned it to him. It was a cool show all about it. I can't believe the Anna saw every people see this show. It's just unbelievable. And yeah. And honestly, tons of people came into the store. Hundreds and hundreds of people came into the store. Yes. It was, it was really something, man. Um, the, and- the scene of us receiving a huge chocolate shipment while our store was thronged with people who the evening before had seen us on the evening news will stand out in my mind for quite yeah, a time. And, that and, was and this little wild. kitchen that we have in our store where we're making, mm-hmm. pro- which, where we're making new products, um, and Daniel, if you're, and so I think Daniel subscribed to our YouTube channel. So he's going to hear this. Oh, fantastic. So, well, by the way, before we go any further, Daniel, thank you so much for coming. You're the man, thank Daniel. you so much for, uh, for educating your son about chocolate, both industrial and, and, and sort of artisanal. And we just love the fact that you're interested in coming in and come guy, get your hot chocolate and see us anytime. We love And you. he brought his boy in too. And his boy had a hot chocolate as well. How old and is his son? I think his son, if I remember was 10. 10 years old he was cool getting too. Into, getting into the good stuff i, I think i think i remember him being yeah being being 10 um that's great so, so he and his sister are currently is aquanians it's like we've gone yeah, through this before but it's a yeah, residence and they're chocolate lovers too and that's they're supporters awesome. of, of local business so they're they're good on pretty much every front that i can think of these are some good folks <laughs> yeah, quality, good folks. quality quality and, folks. and so that little kitchen that we have where we make other products yes um we just built it i want to say two and a half weeks ago or something yeah three weeks ago mm-hmm. like the stuff in that kitchen literally just showed up like we, we still have the huge shelving units just to keep supplies yeah. properly stored that we haven't even had time to set up yet. they're sitting on the floor in boxes 300 pound boxes so we had just started making products to put on the shelves mm-hmm. and this new show ran and like we haven't even practiced really making stuff we certainly have never made it on a large scale. And then all of a sudden we had to start just pumping out like well, nonstop product for these you, hundreds of people that were coming in. You mentioned the product that is probably the most laborious to make on the show. You specifically called out our turtles on the show, yeah. a product that is incredibly inefficient to make, super hard to make in high volume. 
and not available for online and very, very hard to keep in stock in the store. Since you mentioned that on the, on that local news show, I've gotten probably 50 emails asking about the, the, the turtles. And I know that folks are coming into the shop and as soon as there's turtles on the shelf, they just, Oh yeah. 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 And by the way, and the turtles are amazing. They're amazing. So we, I mean, when so we can produce enough to put them online, we will. And the folks are going to absolutely love we, So we make, we make caramel in the shop. Mm-hmm. Javier, who's great. Now that's Fred that you guys buy caramel beans, right? And you actually put them in the soil in the shop, grow them in the uh-huh. caramel planters, and then harvest, <laughs> lovingly harvest the caramel pods, and then and then squeeze the, the caramel out of the caramel that's, pod. That, and that, that's pretty that's essentially right. Right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but that's you know, there's a there's a couple of little tweaks to make to that mm-hmm. explanation, but that's basically right. But the one thing I will say is that the caramel that we use in the shop, we're using honey instead of corn syrup, which was a that corn syrup is gross. That's a great that's a great point. Javier dude because... came up with that. Oh, that's amazing. So um but we just have these two little burners. Like we, we don't, we don't have like a big, yeah. It's like, this know. is, these are the burners that I had. I think I had one of these like in 1987 in my, yeah, it's a little my, camping burner is what we have in there. Yeah. Like in my yeah. barracks room in the army so that I could heat yeah. up top ramen. <laughs> yeah. That's what we have, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but we make it fresh and stuff, but yeah. So we were just like trying to pump out turtles and just everything. And, and then we did like a little sample plate on the, on the, on the show with like one of each of our products. And literally people were coming in and saying, like, I saw X, Y, I want the same. I want the same on the plate. plate. I want the stuff that was on the plate. We sold a million bags of s'mores. Like we're just pumping out s'mores. And as soon (laughs) as we put them on the shelves, they disappear. And everybody was just last week, just run ragged. I mean, we were really working 13, 14 hours a day last week. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's why I have been in a little bit of a daze. But we're starting to recover now. Man, our team over there in the shop are just a bunch of blue-blooded champions dude. if i could if i, they if, are I could, champions. if i could sing i would use my singing abilities to sing the praises of our uh-huh. crew over at the shop because they are stellar i mean yeah, i gotta tell you I, had a, I got a stellar crew working in peru on on picking up harvesting picking up and and fermenting and drying beans and the crew we've got going at the shop now uh they're and, awesome they're awesome and so shout out to another wonderful person uh, who not from here, but now living here, your wife, Neri, who large part has organized some of the, uh, has sort of, uh, organized the labor situation over there. Man, oh man, what a great team. What a great team of great. hardworking, smart, competent, team. wonderful and an- people. And another shout out for Neri. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she, along with her brother who lives in Bolivia and is a Moises. graphic designer, Moises, mm-hmm. yep. who's a friend of yours as well. Yes. Um, they, they work together to design all of our packaging. Yes. But, and we're going to have like printed bags and biodegradable, like in biodegradable packaging and stuff, but mm-hmm. they haven't showed up yet. Yeah. So Neri during the last week also, no, I'm going to send a nasty email by the way, because if they just don't show up immediately, <laughs> I'm sending it now. It's a callback to something. Yeah, Never yeah, mind. Yeah. Um, that wasn't actually even on the podcast. We were talking about that. Before. I know. I know. That's why <laughs> no one, that's not going to make sense to anybody. Yeah. But. Um, but in addition to that, like Neri was over at FedEx every day last week, printing hundreds of labels. I thought you could say yelling at the FedEx people because they haven't arrived. <laughs> they didn't hear that conversation, Brian. People don't know what <laughs> okay. you're referring to. All right. All right. Yeah. All right, we had a customer who placed an order and then and then gave us a really hard time. Very quickly, very uh, un- unreasonably quickly, sent a mean email castigating us for providing a poor customer experience when it was well within the realm of normal for the product to be in the act. It was fair, yeah. He was he was yeah. being unfair. He um, was. So everybody worked worked re- yeah real hard. We made it through. 
a little like a little real like pretty worn down a little run down mm-hmm. but um we made it through and i think when you go through something kind of hard like that as a team and you find a way to power through it's team building it, it bonds you man absolutely suffering together bonds you for sure that's true. I remember those that when we would have, there was a couple of years there where like every pickup that we were doing in Campo was our new record. Uh-huh. We did, you know, 1400 kilos. And then it was, uh, we made two tons in one day of wet beans. And then we got all the way up to like over five and it increased by a factor of in one day, five tons of wet cacao. And one be- Which we've now smashed. We've done seven or eight now, but at the yeah. time we didn't have anywhere near the capacity to handle that. And we worked from you know, 7.30 a.m. until 11 at night that night because they have to go in the fermenter box that day. And we were absolutely wrung out, but in the good way. And we, at about seven o'clock, we sent some, uh, someone over to talk to one of the local restaurants and put us together like a bunch of dinners. And we all had dinner together there at the, uh, there at the plant late. And we had a couple of beers to toast our success. And we were wrung out, but happy and more unified than Same. ever as a team. Same deal. Fun. And like, so on, on one of these nights, we, we went and bought tamales for everybody and sent everybody home with tamales for dinner um and then the next night we had pizza and stuff so it was it was same same kind of deal same kind of deal but man are those guys champs dude so i agree i agree and and cannot sing their praises loudly enough all right so going back to what you were just talking about about the the record pickups and stuff we're Mm -hmm. here in february we're early in the 2020 cacao harvest season we're on the front end of it the rain pattern this year dictated that things start a little sometimes you start in december the production wasn't great in December, uh, and um, there were some restrictions on movement due to the surge in Omicron. So right now, we're really getting deeply into the swing of it a little like a, like a month later than we might normally. So how many, how many harvests have you overseen now? Are we, is this your tw- 11th or 12th or something like that or more? Uh, yeah, in terms of, I, I thought you meant individual harvest days, which would be- Oh, no, no, no I'm talking about like how many like full cacao harvest seasons have you overseen now? I believe our first year that we had a really active harvest. I mean, I could look it up, but uh, I'd say it was probably 2009 or but nine going into 10. All right. So it's been, so this yeah, is like your so 13th this is, year. This is 21 going into 22. So this would be the, the, the 12th, the 12th year. Okay. Yeah. So um, what has to happen at the beginning of our, what has to happen at the end of the previous harvest season to get yourself ready for the next harvest season? First so, of all. so yeah, so we're in the, in the unfortunate position that because it's such a seasonal, it's a crop and it doesn't produce year round. So you have to kind of shutter your, your facility for a few months every year. Um, and it's not really in use. So the, so if anybody out there has industrial sort of experience, you're, you're running a factory, basically, this is a bean factory. And so factories require a lot of maintenance and a lot of construction and a lot of cleanup and a lot of planning and this and that. So and you're put and you're like throwing a lot of weight at your equipment, man. Like if you're doing eight tons in a day, like you're putting a lot of weight on your, on your, on your infrastructure there. That's correct. So yeah, eight tons in a day is 18,000 pounds, uh, almost 17 something tons. Yeah. Almost 18,000 pounds of uh, 18,000 pounds of anything is a lot. Um, and this is all handmade hand built. That's every day. Yeah. And everything's made out of wood. Yes. So, which is great actually, because wood is quite resistant to, to weight, but so at the end of the previous harvest, the number one thing you got to do after everybody takes a few days to recoup is take a thorough inventory of what needs fixing and what needs replacing. 
uh, and come up with a list and then put together a budget. And every year before things start, you have to put together a, a, a construction plan. You might need to expand. You don't really ever contract. You got to replace my. You got to replace mesh and carp, uh, tarps and uh, and slats of wood and supports and um, under supports and fencing. Um, there you got to repave. I mean, I think I've mentioned on here. Repaving before, is pretty interesting, dude. It's yeah, because so the 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 fresh cacao juice drips down out of the fermenter boxes and it drips down onto this uh, polished concrete surface and it just eats. Concrete. It's acidic, huh? It, yeah, it literally eats concrete, the, the chemistry of it, it'll eat it away. And so um, every year, typically you have to bring in a jackhammer and you have to jackhammer a sec a section, uh, the one that's the most worn of concrete and relay that section of concrete um, every year. Almost every year we would have to do one. It kind of goes in a rotating cycle of, of replacement. You might want to put it, you might've identified a, a pain point in your process and you might put a new ramp in or a second ramp on the other end or. Um, and, and all the fermenting has to be done on, on top of concrete. Uh, it doesn't have to, but if you do it on top of the soil, then that stuff gets into the soil and it, and it'll rot eventually. And it's, yeah, you yeah harder to clean. Odor. Yeah. And harder you to can't clean. really, yeah. You start to get odor issues. And so for yeah. drainage reasons and for sanitary reasons, it's a lot better to do it on concrete. Be awesome to, to, to do it on tile actually, but, um, tile is not tile would be great, but, uh, it also, the, the cacao juice eats tile grout. Um, the, so you'd have to replace, you'd have to do a lot more where you'd have to replace your substructure and all your tile every, however many years. And that would be a big project, bro. So early in the, um, early in the cacao harvest is the fruit generally less ripe or anything like that? Or like, how are there any differences in the fruit early in the harvest versus late in the harvest from your, from your experience? I always felt so. Yeah. Once you get your plant ready to go and you got your team reassembled, a lot of them have gone off to do other work and so forth. And yeah. you're calling them back and seeing who wants to work. And then you're hiring new people and getting them trained up. Make sure you got all your bags. You got to get your motorcycles maintained. You got a fleet of six, seven, eight motorcycles, you got a truck, you got to get all your stuff maintained, change tires, change out wiring harnesses, mm -hmm. new, you know, gear, new oil gear. changes, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. The whole deal. Some are out. You got to take them in for a complete rehaul. So yeah, you get all your vehicles done. You get your team ready to go. Everybody's trained up. You got all your bags, buckets, everything you need. And then <clears throat> you got to start programming these pickups with the community. So you have to actually go out and you have to see how it's going in each community and you have to schedule a day, which means normally you have to get together and sit down for a couple of hours. And how many, how many little communities are we buying from? 30 yeah and i know there's like 80 total out there but we buy principally from about 30 of them 30. and a lot of those are a pickup of one day might incorporate three to five small communities and it's gotcha. on a rotating cycle of six or seven pickups so yep you know, normally once every two weeks you have to go out and start scheduling and make sure that your calendar is correct and that everybody and you have to take into account the cycle of the moon because farmers don't like to harvest on i, I remember that the Luna Verde, they don't like the harvest right after the, uh, anyhow, it's a, I've talked to some agronomists who have assured me that that's a bunch of nonsense, but then again, farmers know things from practice that Correct. book learning often doesn't, Yeah, but whatever it is, it's a scheduling hassle, but there you go. And um, so um, in the off season, are you going out and um, like, do, when you visit those farms, is it just to make sure that our relationships are still strong, that they're still going to be selling to us, or yeah. is it to go see... Also like, see how production looks, talk about the rain, uh, see how talk if, about scheduling, 
see, make sure the status of their, um, of their, uh, pruning, uh, pruning, make sure that there's not a disease problem that needs to be addressed. Um, if so, then you might need to send some folks out there to help them, uh, get their farm into shape because disease in one, this is in the, in this day of pandemic, this is pertinent disease in one little cacao plot. These are airborne diseases. They, they, the, the number one disease is called, um, uh, Moniliasis, and it's um, um, and there's also Phytoptera, and these are uh, airborne spore diseases. Uh, it gets you get a black spot in your cacao pod, and then little white spores, and a wind comes up, and it takes these spores, and they it disseminate out potentially mm. to the next farm, and the next farm, and the next farm. And so, the way to protect against that is is proper pruning, or yeah, prune. So you have to prune to make sure there's good airflow, and then if you see any diseased pods, you have to get them down off the tree before they spore. And either burn them, bury them, or uh, or drown them uh, in the in you know in the in the river. Bro, uh, you mentioned the rain pattern affecting the start of the harvest season. How these does not, these are not irrigated farms, so rain is everything. Okay, so is it like a lack of rain? It or? can be a lack of rain. It could be too much rain. It could be rain in the wrong. Let me tell you something about rain, Adam. Tell me about rain as it pertains to the cacao harvest, bro. Boy, oh boy, farmers. They're at the mercy of the most uncontrollable element of all. I mean, it sometimes it rains and sometimes it doesn't. It never, I can't remember one year where everybody got their heads together and said, boy, the rain was perfect this year. No, it does not happen. Um, it's always too much or too little or in the wrong time at the wrong time. Or, you know, I mean, what you'd really like is a gentle, small drop, uh, steady, uh, predictable rain, you know, every night. Uh -huh. for a certain amount of months and then, and then, or, you know, two nights a week and then dry to water stress the plants to increase their production. Like there could be a perfect pattern. And if you had the money to lay in irrigation, you know, drip irrigation systems, you could do that. But then again, that doesn't protect from too much rain because we're always fundraising for flood relief. So, yeah. you know, there's either too much or too little or the wrong, whatever. There's never a year. There are years that are better and years that are worse, but there's never a year where everybody gets together and says, boy, the, most, really, the rain really crushed it. This last the, the most common <laughs> message I ever get from Oscar mm -hmm. oh, with pictures. It's like, it's almost full. Lluvia, God. Like, it's yeah, like, it's like, like it's hey, we got, rain. Blow, we got full blown rain happening. It's here. storming. It's like, the roads are closed. Still, the bridge huh? is out. The, it, yeah. Always. The yeah. bridge is out. The river, the mud, the mud. I mean, I'm ruined for, I'm ruined for mud, man. I like you hate I, it. Uh, the rain. In the mud. <laughs> it rains a lot here in Seattle, but not like that. that no, no. Well, our, 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 our roads aren't primarily dirt roads or anything. So it's pernicious there. I mean, it just, it's <laughs> rainy, it's muddy, it's floody. Uh, it's hard to get around and it's just slippery and dirty. And it's just all the things you don't want it to be. So Generally, bro, at the beginning of the harvest, what's it like when you, you asked about the, the you asked about the trees? So in yeah. my experience, because you have a dry season and then it starts to get the dry season is when they flower and then the rain starts and that rain kind of uh, feeds the, the process and the trees start to throw fruit from inside the little flowers. And then those a certain amount of those uh, are vigorous and grow. Um, in my experience, the beans at the beginning of the year are a little less meaty um, and the pods are a little smaller, uh, but I think there might be a little more flavor in those beans because there's kind of like less meat to fill with the available flavor chemicals. I, I don't know, but That's I would say that. 
the, I would say that the early harvest beans are maybe a little bit stronger flavored, but a little bit uh, uh, less, a little bit uh, harder to process and a, and a little bit uh, less meaty, less full, less, uh, less average grams per bean. In the cacao industry, you want to have, you want to average one gram per dry bean. That's considered a good size bean to have and a good weight bean to have. I'd say they're probably more like 0.9 at the beginning and they probably get up to like 1.2 at the heavy part of the harvest. So, um, so what's but, it, what like, so what's, what's it like when you go do your very first harvest of the season? Yeah. So it's, it's always, it's, you know, it's Is like it, the first, it's like the it's first, like the first game of, season. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Like it's opening, it's of, opening day, you know, everybody's happy to see you and the farmers are very solicitous and they want you to come in. Everybody's a little rusty. Um, someone will invariably uh, crash their motorcycle on day one. <laughs> <laughs> Good <laughs> and, times, dude. Oh uh, well, yeah. Everybody, somebody will inevitably crash your motorcycle and hurt their knee or something. And they'll be gimping around for the next couple of weeks. And, um, you know, you don't like to see that, but it definitely happens. And are the um, cacao farm? They'll the- be riding and, they, and they'll like have their, the guy who's two up on the back will, for, they're like the, they will have done the maintenance, but forgotten to put the little foot post. And so they'll have their leg hanging down the whole day and they'll put their leg up against the tailpipe without realizing it. And they'll like burn a hole in their pants and actually burn their skin. And then everybody will give them the business for the next couple of weeks because they're gimpy and they have a hole in their pants and they'll call them like, Mr. Pants hole guy. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's like a very Peruvian um, yeah. way to yeah, make yeah. fun of someone. It's just right. call, call them the thing they are. That's right. That's yeah, right. But, so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and are the cacao farmers stoked to like start getting some money coming in again? Absolutely. So the great thing is um, the school year ends in December in Peru, uh, just before Christmas. And it starts typically around March 1st. And so when we start harvesting cacao, the farmers start to get cash income uh, on a yearly harvest and it comes right at the time that they need to buy school supplies and school uniforms um, and pay. So in Peru that you, the, the way it works is they put out a list and it's an extensive list. It's an extensive and expensive list of things you need to buy, which has to be delivered before they'll let your kid into class. Um, even though they're public schools, a lot of times they charge the parents for certain things. The teachers may charge for certain things. Um, you have to, like the parents have to communally supply all the toilet paper for the schools there. The state doesn't do that, even though they're public schools. Um, in some places there's outright, outright graft going on in the school. So it can end up being very uh, expensive. Uh, and all schools, 100% of all schools in Peru are uniformed and you have to buy the particular uniforms. You can only buy them from the school. Um, and cause they're all monogrammed and logoed and stuff. And so all that stuff starts to really add up. So starting to get some cash rolling in, um, is it's perfect timing for them. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very cool. Yeah. Um, and what about like, are you keeping an eye on your, your, your buying prices in the off season as well? And well, so because, uh, cacao is scarce in the off season, the price is typically at its highest right at the beginning. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, financing wise, that makes it a challenge, obviously, and it's great for the farmers. Um, and so, yeah, they'll, that, that, as beans start to come into the market, the price will typically drop. We, um, I think we've discussed it before our model that we use, um, is basically we take the local, uh, the local price, uh, our price fluctuates floats based on the local middleman price, the local middlemen are paying X amount. We play, we pay x times 1.3 or something like that um but for what and, but for what cacao we'll see they'll take anything 
but yeah. we only take pure national cacao and it has to be, you know, clean and disease free. Um, so if they were able to sell, well, I, I won't go through the calculation, but yeah. we, end, we end up paying 42% more on average than what they can get from any other alternative. When you take into account um, process, the cost of processing, the cost of transport, which we take all those costs, um, the time value of money where they have to wait, um, and just the outright higher price that we pay. Yep. Um, so, um, so our price, we don't really just set the price. Um, but it floats and it's 42% higher than any other price they could possibly get. Over time, it has averaged out to be 42% higher than any other price they could have gotten there locally. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and so, um, so of course, they're yeah. happy to see us because, and also some years, it's even more important than others because the price of coffee is even more wildly volatile than the price of cacao. And most of these guys are coffee farmers and rice farmers. Rice is not highly profitable. Rice is a, is a thin margin for a farmer. So, rice kind of uh, dude and it's such hard work oh boy rice farming is so gnarly man honestly that's why that's one reason they love cacao because it, harvesting cacao is easier than harvesting uh coffee and anything's easier than rice just generally rice for, and you have to pay for so many um you have to pay for so many so adam i apologize for interrupting the podcast but you can't see it uh, cause we're in different offices, but the UPS truck just pulled up and he's about to knock on the door of the office that you're in. Yeah. Um, so why don't you open the door and receive this while I tell people about, uh, about all right, the, keep the, going, bro. Keep going. Yeah. So, uh, cacao prices are, uh, are, are more stable, typically operate within a thinner range, um, than, uh, than coffee and rice prices. Rice tends to be a little bit more variable and it floats up and down and on a year, when uh, rice prices are low, and sometimes that coincides with a year when coffee prices are low, if both rice and coffee prices are low and the cacao price is doing great, it's a much needed infusion of, of cash. Um, and in some cases, a farmer will, um, will kind of like, it, when they know cacao season is coming and we've scheduled, and if they can see that the coffee price is low and there's too much coffee in the market, the, the fact that we're harvesting and paying for cacao allows them to sit on some coffee and, and, and kind of wait and wait out that price fluctuation and hold it in reserve because they're getting their cacao money in rice is always low margin. It just kind of pays the bills, but just boy, it, oh boy. It, you can fill up some, land. you can fill up some land with it. And like my understanding with rice is like you can plant rice and then harvest it the same year. Whereas a cacao tree, takes right. several that's, years that's to right. come online. That's right. You can plan and know when you're going to get rice income. But the big problem with the rice is the, for the farmer, rice requires irrigation. It requires like 22,000 yeah. like 22, yep. acre feet of water per hectare. Per, I mean, it's, or, and it's not acre feet. That's too much. But I mean, it's a huge amount and of you water. You got to like hire other guys to come over and help you, man. And labor I mean, is super short. Yeah. yeah. And, you, and you have to buy all the chemical in. Puts. you have you have to buy fertilizer and you have to buy pesticides for rice or it just yeah won't grow uh so so uh they have to have all that cash to front to get into rice and so and, then you, it's, and it's bro, a diabolical in, cycle in the in the off season do you have uh cacao farmers come in and just like asking for an advance against the harvest for any kind of bills they have i mean is that a common thing now adam can you tell me are there any agents of the Peruvian government listening to this podcast? Because what I'm about to say may not exactly square with all the regulatory. This is not that us that did this, Brian. I'm just saying generally. Oh, it's, you're it's saying if, hypothetically, yes. Hypothetically speaking, 
lots of farmers, <laughs> dozens of farmers could potentially hypothetically go in and ask for an advance against next year's beans. Um, and in theory, or, we might do that for them. Theoretically, there could be an informal practice of loaning money against the next year's and, and, and really just keeping it in a notebook and not having it be any sort of formal regulated uh, program because that would be essentially impossible to do and it would make it so expensive as to be prohibitive. Um, so yes, in concept, that, <laughs> that, that could, could, that could potentially happen lots all the time. Every yeah. Yeah. Year. Every year for over a decade in theory, uh, conceptually, sure. Conceptually. And, <laughs> and, and that happens because life happens. Um, like theoretically people could have medical issues. Theoretically, they could have, be having a, a, yeah. a, a kid get married. Um, uh, theoretically they could need to invest in, they could want to expand their foothold into cattle and wanted to get some, some breeding stock or something like that. So it would be very common in theory for a farmer to, uh, ask for, for, for funds for, for some special purpose and then repay in beans uh, later. Yeah. And let me just say a couple of things about that. So one, anybody who's listening to this, who's a business owner knows like, sometimes you need credit to grow your business. And essentially all of these are, all of our cacao farm partners are small business owners, the family, family farms. And the most but, successful ones realize that and treat it as such. And, yeah. But many don't. Yeah. Well, but the other thing then is also um, we're, we're talking about people in many cases who are at, at, at a very bare subsistence level of living and any kind of surprise will put them in a financial hardship. And their family economy is entirely informal. They're not, they don't have access uh -huh. to credit. And so that's why, that's, that's why. Yeah. It's not like they're using online banking or something like this. No, sir. They cannot. They, so yeah, I mean, they've got a, a national ID card, but they can't go to a financial institution and get credit. And the, every, this is a cash transaction. It, the hardest part of the work that I did for many, many years in the jungle was making these cash off book purchases, getting them into the accounting system. And so there's, they have a form for that. This is a known issue in Peru. They have a form for this. Um, and you have to fill out by hand a form uh, for each cash transaction and then submit that to the tax authority. And then that shows that the beans were actually purchased and you get credit for the expense. And that gives you the legal right to then resell the beans and export the beans. If you don't do that, then they're not in the system and you can't you, so you're, the so state you're, would have no way of knowing that so you were the owner of those beans to be able to export. So your little receipt's got to total up to the amount that you're exporting in theory if you were to get audited. Do we have, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do. do. We, the people want to know, Brian. Do we have 500 hours so that I could expound on my endless, endless... Uh, I'm getting exhausted and my hand yeah. is cramping up just thinking of this. Yeah, well, we're going to have a hard out here pretty soon anyways, bro. So, but listen, we have... Well, good. So let me take the rest of the time to talk yeah. about filling out these... No, forms. no, we've got a hard out right now. Yeah, okay. Um, so, uh, <laughs> no, but... So we're, we're just starting the new harvest. We're making all of our plans to start buying. But it's, it's on, by the way. It's we're on, we're yeah, already yeah. on harvest three of this harvest. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we have... Oh, we're already on harvest. So we've done three harvests. So, um... We're going to be buying a lot of cacao. A bunch and, of cacao. Tons and, and have, tons and tons of cacao. And we're going to be making a lot of chocolate. It's pretty interesting, this chocolate that we have in the store. We got a friend. I don't even think you know her. Do you know Kim Peterson? Uh, maybe. Anyway, I'm terrible with names. If I saw her face, I might be able to pick she's her She's a customer and a friend. And... Um, she loves the 47% dark dark milk. She's a huge She should. Everybody fan. should. That's that's and my so favorite. She too. she tested the previous 
um, batch of 47% dark milk we had versus the shipment that we just got in. Yes. And she said she was able to taste a little bit of a difference and she likes huh. the new batch better. I love to hear so that. So the other I'm thing gonna, is like, hey, man, that. like the environment, the terroir, the yeast in the air. I'm sorry, the, the rain, what now? the toile. The <laughs> Noted Frenchophile, noted Francophile, Adam Pearson. You always say it like that. So I try to say it like that. How do you Te- say it? Terroir. Terroir. <laughs> I'm not sure. I say it like someone from Montreal who's had like too much poutine. Do you remember, do you remember, but... the, do you remember the movie, um, The Princess Bride, where in the yes. scene where the guy's married? Mowage. <laughs> Mowage is what brings us all here together today. Yeah. Um, that also reminds me of a scene from the movie uh, Karate Kid, part mm-hmm. three, where uh, <laughs> Mr. Miyagi. Oh, that that miraculous sequel, yes. So Mr. Miyagi comes in and he's going to fight these two like American karate guys who have been, mm-hmm. who are the Cobra Kai guys. Mm-hmm. And, and he, it's Mr. Miyagi versus these two guys. And right before they're going to start fighting him, they start doing all these Bruce Lee noises. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, <laughs> right. So like, and then Mr. Miyagi beats them both up mm-hmm. and they, they're both on the ground all beat up and like, and then, and then the last thing that Mr. Miyagi does is he goes, whoa, <laughs> like making fun of them. Uh-huh. And that oh, that's funny. Yeah. All right. But anyway, but, but you're right. It varies year by year. It will. I mean, and that's, and, had a couple years that were kind of were notably not as it's the same with vintners, you know, wine. It's been a long time since we've had a bad year. Yeah, it has. We've been, we've been fortunate. We are fortunate that the weather, even though we're talking about how variable and sometimes uh, problematic it can be tends to do a great job. These trees are adapted to it and the trees and the genetic stock are good. And, and, you know, not all farmer, not every farmer is the same, but the vast majority of the farmers we work with are good, solid farmers who know how to put out a, a good bean. Yeah. So one of the fun things for the customers, uh, for our wonderful customers who are listening, will be also to just kind of get to try a new chocolate every year. And even within the same harvest, you know, you have different shipments of cacao coming out of the jungle that could each have their Absolutely. own, and their we, own character, we, even though it's the same chocolate. We, we have some, we have a, a, at least one client that I know of who actually only buys chocolate made from the, from the first beans of every year, calls it first harvest and really appreciates that flavor. He's got an amazing palate and can discern it. So, yeah. so that, yeah, it is, you know, this is it much like wine. This is a product that changes year to year and is, is specific to the place, the wind, the sun, the rain, everything, the soil, everything that makes up the terroir of a place. It happens just as much terroir. It happens just as much in cacao as it does in coffee or wine or anything else. All right, man. Well, hey, let's let's wrap it up right there. Um, let me just quickly look up. It's Daniel Church. Shout mm-hmm. out again to Daniel Church, man. And I hope y'all. I hope you're listening to this with your son. I hope we see you in the shop for free hot chocolate um, sometime soon. And just thank you to everybody else. Brian, we got, we're over 5,000 or we're over a thousand five-star reviews on our 68% uh-huh. chocolate. That's right. We passed a thousand five-star reviews. What a, what an amazing milestone. I never, I, I in my wildest dreams, I wouldn't have thought that would, that would happen. So yeah, I just want to yeah. double thank uh, Daniel and his son and everybody who listens Our <clears throat> our good friend, uh, David, and, uh, and just everybody involved in our crew over there and also the whole crew in Peru, they won't hear this, but I tell them every time I talk to them, uh, how much we appreciate them, but thank you to all the customers. This is all about you guys helping us, uh, stay in business by 
yeah, you know, helping us uh, stay uh, yeah. alive by coming in and buying that good stuff. I've, I've, you know, I've written a little, a little bit about this lately, but I don't, I don't think it's appreciated to the ex- the extent to which it's 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 crazy that it isn't. But I, I, I don't think enough businesses recognize the extent to which the customers are basically partners in the you know, they're basically the financial partners in the business. Yeah, because yeah. like nothing we we do would be possible unless we had customers who enjoyed. The chocolate. So thank you all. Like we couldn't do it without you. Mm-hmm. Brian, you want to go ahead and sign us off with the Fortunato jingle, which we're still doing. <laughs> Fortunato yum. Fortunato yum with the little happy fingers there. That's and right. um, and everybody, don't forget to check us out at fortunatochocolate.com. Or if you live in the Seattle area, come check us out. You can Google Fortunato Chocolate Issaquah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got the address on the website as well. So we look forward to seeing you. And um, thank you everybody so much. Thanks everybody. Bye-bye. Check you later.